Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Well, welcome to episode 42. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are honored to have with us as our guest, Lori Cheek. She is the CEO and founder of Cheeked.com. Many of you out there have seen her on Shark Tank, so we're very happy to have her with us. Thank you, Lori, for being here today. Thanks for having me. And before we get into the show, I just want to thank our sponsor, Pogan Pole. They are the world's oldest and most innovative luxury kitchen brand in the world. To learn more about Pogan Pole or to design your kitchen, please visit www.poganpole, that's P-O-G-G-E-N-P-O-H-L.com. So thanks to our sponsor, Lori. You've yes. been all over television and social media and um, you know, this, this cheeked innovation that you've created. It's really an, an excellent innovative idea and a hybrid uh, between online dating and in-person dating. Can you give us a little background about the company? And then I'd like to get into a little bit um, about a background about you. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was, uh, I was an architect, and I was out to dinner with another architect over six years ago. And I had excused myself from the table, and when I came back, he had scribbled on the back of his business card, want to have dinner, and he slid that to a woman as we were leaving the restaurant. And I remember thinking that was so smooth. After all the times I've lived in New York City and seen an intriguing stranger and they get away. You don't you don't walk up to strangers on the subway, you know, when a, when a two guys are at dinner, there's no way I'm going to walk up to one of them and say, hi, you're cute, would you like to meet me for coffee? <laughs> so I just like the, the non-intrusive way that my friend slipped this woman a card and I immediately had a light bulb that wouldn't go off in my head and I kept trying to think how can I take the business out of this business card and keep it safe and private so one year later I ran into a couple of guys at a Mardi Gras party and I told them about this idea and they thought it was genius so they ended up saying let's sit down on Monday and bring it to life because we help small businesses get started and I was just happy to have anyone to help me, you know, build this idea. So we sat down. They started working on the the budgets, the financial projections, all the kind of business stuff that that I didn't have any idea about and what needed to be done. So from that moment forward, it took us a little over a year to launch. And then in May of 2010, we had a, a website that was called Cheeks.com, and we were hoping to to solve misconnections all over the world with these cards that no longer have your personal information, but they have a code that, and a pickup line that leads to a privacy-protected online dating profile on the Cheeks website. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if you haven't seen the cards yet, you should go to Cheek.com and take a look at them. They're very, very sophisticated, stylish, uh, black cards, and they have different, you know, you want to call them pickup lines, if you, if you will, pickup lines on them, and then this unique code that Lori's talking about. So when you give the card to someone, they can go home and they can type your code in, and then they have access to your profile. So it certainly is a very unique way. And, you know, something that you said earlier, I don't know how many times I've heard from people, you know, they'll be out at a, at a restaurant or on the subway or wherever, and they see somebody and they're like, oh, wow, you know, that person's so attractive. They, they look so nice. You know, I overheard their conversation. We seem to have a lot in common just based upon what I had overheard. And then you never see that person again, you know, because you're, you are, you're too shy and embarrassed to go up to somebody and, and say, hey, you know, you want to get a cup of coffee. But with your approach, it makes it a lot easier for people that are shy and the people that are not shy. Yeah, I say it's a risk-free icebreaker. You have nothing to lose by handing someone a card. What, uh, what sort of things, what sort of pickup lines are on the cards, Lori? So, I mean, I think humor has a lot to do with you know, ice-breaking. So we've tried to make them pretty funny. I mean, some of them are romantic, like one of them says, don't let me get away. Um, some of my favorites are the snarkier ones. So there's one that says my Amex is also this color, which means you have a black Amex. So right. you're, you're suggesting you have a lot of money, um, <laughs> jokingly. Right. And then there's one that says, I just put all my drinks on your tab. So hopefully somebody would get the humor in that if you hand them that. There's one that says, I'm hitting on you. Um, act natural. We can get awkward later. So some of them are blunt. And I just think it's a it's a funny way to tell someone you want to see them again. No, it is. And, you know, it's really risk-free, if you will, because if you give somebody a card and they decide not to, to check you out in the profile, so what? At least you tried. Right? And how many right. times do we, you know, want to accomplish things in life or want to attain things, and we don't try? So, you know, this is this is a really unique uh, approach, and it's the only approach out there that I've seen that's like this. So this is something that really just came from your mind and from that experience you had with your friend, right? Well, I think it's the best way that innovation happens when you see something missing, and this was the one thing that I saw missing in the world of online dating, which is, you know, a real-life encounter and chemistry. Now, let me ask you a question. You, you, I think you were originally, you were born in Kentucky, and then you moved yes. to New York. Is that right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, aside from that meeting with your, your friend, how did you realize that there was a problem in the dating world? Did you yourself experience issues where you wanted to talk to somebody but didn't know how to approach them as you were, you know, growing up? I mean, I'm even, I'm very outgoing. And in New York City, it's really hard to find a date. It's just, I don't know what it is about it, but apparently it's going on all over the place. I mean, there's over 100 million single adults in America over the age of 18, and I just cannot get over how these people can't find one another. And, I mean, I remember there was a period when I was single for three years, and I just didn't, for the life of me, understand how I couldn't meet anybody. I mean, I guys weren't coming up to me, and, you know, even if I'd say something, I'd feel a little uncomfortable because, you know, women don't always feel comfortable making the, the first move, and I'm still kind of old-fashioned being from Kentucky. So, 
yes, everything about this moment was kind of solving what I'd been through. You know, on the subway, I'd seen so many cute guys, and you're kind of making eye contact with them, but nobody talks on the train unless you do something ridiculous, and then you've, you've broken the ice in that way. But it's happened, you know, for 18 years, I've passed people on the street that I, I feel like you both kind of wish you could have said something, and, and you don't. Yeah, yeah. So it's completely unique. It's completely, I think, innovative. But what I don't understand is how, because you seem very outgoing and, and bubbly. How did you get into architecture? Because, you know, <laughs> we work with a lot question. of architects, and you don't seem to fit the mold of the traditional architect. Well, so I'm, I'm from Kentucky. My parents encouraged me to go to the state school, and I was always very creative. And you know, I didn't want to go be an artist because how could I ever make money as an artist? So I just kept thinking, what's the most creative field I could go into that you can actually have a, a good career out of? And the University of Kentucky had one of the top five architecture programs in the country at the time, so I thought I'll get a, a great education no matter what, and I did. And, you know, I'm, I, I loved it, and it, it was almost like a humanities degree. I learned so much about art and life and structure, and I was actually really into math, so that kind of fit in nicely, too. Um, and then I threw up my graduation hat and drove straight to New York. I didn't have a job, but I just knew I had to come to this big city and, and become famous for something. So <laughs> I came here and started working as a waitress. And, you know, in a similar way that I kind of moved to New York, with it was a huge risk. I didn't have much money and I moved here just based on a, a dream kind of in the way that I started this business well you know let's talk about that let's talk about the actual startup of the company so obviously uh, we get a lot of questions from people about starting businesses and one thing that people can't seem to get their heads around is the idea of embracing risk and, you know, just from the example that you, you gave about, you know, graduating and then moving to New York and not really having things set up, you took a massive risk. And people can't seem to understand, how can I go and start a, a company? There's too much risk. So first let me ask you, how do you and how did you, when you started the company, handle the idea of risk? What did you say to yourself when trying to, you know, wrap your head around the risk associated with a new business? So I just don't have a lot of doubt. And, you know, it's it's not like I was investing in someone else. I know how stubborn I am. I know how ambitious I am. And, you know, even if this was a bad idea, I still feel like I could have brought some success out of it. But I know it's a great idea, so I've got a lot more to, to count on. But... I just think um, it, it's it's an attitude almost. Yeah, well, this is something that we've talked about with a lot of people, and, and, and the idea of having this confidence in yourself, um, I think it's so important, so crucial, not just to starting a business, but to being successful in life in general, but especially in the business field. You know, we see people all the time who are relying on the old adage, fake it until you make it, and there's a lot of truth behind that because you have to have that level of belief in yourself 
because you're going to encounter people who just don't see your vision, and you have to deal with that. So do you think that the confidence that you have in yourself has helped you move forward with the company? Absolutely. I mean, my closest girlfriend, who has been such a great support to me, I mean, it seems like a year after we launched, I was going through struggles. You know, ultimately I got the wrong team around me, and I wasn't making profit, and she was one of the first people that kind of looked me in the eye and said, when are you going to pull the plug on this thing? And I, I just, I didn't comprehend that this person that's so close to me was, was telling me that. And, you know, it stuck with me for a while. And, I mean, clearly I haven't forgotten about it, and that was maybe two years ago. But Are you still there, friends? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like from time to time she keeps, you know, looking at me with the same eyes and, I'm not going anywhere. And even after the, the Shark Tank, she uh, she emailed me and said, by the way, I saw your episode on the Shark Tank. And that's all she said. <laughs> right. I knew what she meant. And I'm yep. not quitting. I'm still not quitting. She doesn't even get how the world needs this, you know. And I know. Yeah, I get it. Well, you know, let's let's talk about your actual startup process. So now you decide one day that you've had enough, you want to leave the field of architecture, and you want to start your own business. So I assume prior to this, you had never started your own company before, right? No, but I've always had some great ideas, but none of them were great enough that I would leave my career. You know, there was a point where I thought I'd have this event website called the Cheat Sheet. So unlike a cheat sheet in school, you'd have – you know, my last name is Cheek, but I wanted to have this Cheek sheet where I give you tips of stuff to do in New York. Like, I mean, I've just had so many ideas, but nothing that I I believed in. And I heard people all around me saying Cheek is actually genius. So right. I feel like I've always kind of had the bug to go out on my own and build something, but it, it just took this great of an idea for me to, to, to make the jump. Well, when you started, uh, because this is going to, coincide with some of the questions that we received for you. you know, what's the best advice you can give someone for starting their own company? Uh, we have a, a string of questions like this. When you started, what did you do first? What was the first thing, aside from the idea, uh, practically speaking, what did you do? I mean, who did you go speak to? When did you register the company? How did that all happen from a practical standpoint? Yeah, so I came up with the idea in February of 2008. I remember I remember the date, and um, the next day I had a cooking class with a bunch of friends, and we ended up getting a couple of bottles of wine in the afternoon, and I remember sitting with about 12 people in a circle coming up. We were just brainstorming about how, you know, how to create the, the idea and bring it to what it is today, and I remember we left with this long list of lines of, what would go on the cards, and some of them are actually in the decks of cards to this day. So that was the first thing. So it was a little bit like a focus group, and everybody there thought it was great. So um, then I just kept walking around talking about it forever, and I, I kept thinking, somebody's going to do this. You know, it took me a year before I finally really got serious about building it, and a lot of people were like, be careful who you tell. You know, somebody could make this idea happen in a heartbeat with the right amount of money. But I really think execution is everything. So 
somebody could have taken this idea and I don't think they would have done it the way that I did it. Um, but then I met these these two guys and they said they both have business backgrounds and they they did all of that stuff like applying for the, the patent, the trademark, um, you know, getting us incorporated, which happened in April of 2009. So that took a little over a year from idea to uh, actually incorporating the business. And as far as that patent, which I think, you know, kinds of, it kind of puts a, a stamp on a business's legitimacy, that took us four years. And, you know, all that stuff costs a lot of money. And it's yeah. money that I never even dreamt about. I just thought, you know, you're, I'm going to pay $20,000 for this website and I'm going to be a millionaire. So it, it ends up costing a lot more than, than you ever dream. But it's all been worth it. Yeah, I think that the lessons that you're, you know, giving to people right now are so important because it's certainly something that you can do if you put your mind to it and if you have that passion. But it is also something that you have to really kind of understand how complex it is when you're going to take an idea and create a business out of it. You know, you saw how long it took to get a patent uh, approved. And, you know, let's talk about some of the other legal issues that you dealt with. Obviously, there's the registration of the company. Um, you know, there's the logo design and then trademarking the logo and, and all that sort of thing. Were you surprised at the amount of legal work that went into creating the company? Absolutely, and I feel like every move you make in building a small business, there's like, okay, now where's the lawyer? And that's, <laughs> as you know, more money. Yeah, you know, and it really depends. I mean, it, it what I what I hate, and this is what we try to kind of uh, get away from, is the idea that uh, not too long ago I was watching something and, and somebody had made a comment about lawyers and lawyers charge you for the staples that they use. And, you know, it's, it's true. There are a lot of people out there like that. But I think that if you find the right team, you can find somebody that believes in your vision. And, you know, it's not always something where you've got to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a lawyer or other service. You know, we had somebody that was, was starting their own business, and they were looking to uh, a web designer, and they wanted to charge them, like, $450,000. And when we saw it, we looked at it, we said, listen, we're not web designers, but what we can tell you is that all of these things they want to bill you for, it's just excessive. Don't do it. Go with somebody else. So really, you know, you mentioned, and I've seen it in other interviews with you, that you had some, some problems with your team originally. How important is it to find the right team members? You know, I wish somebody saw me from afar that knew what I was trying to do and just ripped me out of what I was doing. You know, I was doing everything wrong from the beginning. There was nobody that was kind of like, what on earth are you doing? Like, I mean, I didn't need two guys with the same skill set, and I ended up giving them equity. So they owned over 20% of my business, and it was like the same person. You know, they'd show up with the the same ideas, I needed a, a third person. Right. And I also, they believed in the idea, or they wouldn't have sat down with me that, that day, but you did mention something about having someone that believes in it as much as you, and I think that is as passionate about bringing it to its most successful stage, and I just don't think that they were 
they weren't the right people. And, in fact, one day one of them left one of our meetings a little early, and I saw him write his phone number on the bottom of a notebook paper, and he ripped that piece of paper off and slipped it to a girl as he was leaving our meeting. So <laughs> do you understand what he did? Yeah. Yeah, he, he cheated completely... her with a phone number, and yeah. I, my heart was racing. I'm like, this is my vested partner, and he just cheated her. And I've texted him and said, did did what did, I, did you do what I just think you did? I'm like, did you not have any cards? And he said, no, I was out. I said, do you not know where to get them? I mean, I carry probably five pounds of cheat cards with me everywhere I go. <laughs> anyway, that's, I'm just saying that's. He, he wasn't into the idea or something. Well, that's that's a really, really good point that you make because, <laughs> you know, there are millions of people out there with skill sets that can help you. But I think that what you have to really look for is somebody who believes, and it, it's not just BSing you, but really believes in your vision because you can hire somebody that's just in it for the money, but that passion's missing. They're not going to connect with you you know, when, when we talk about teams, you have to be equal. It doesn't make a difference if you're the, the business partner, the lawyer, the accountant. You have to really embrace what it is that your client is, is doing and, and interested in, your partner. So that, you know, is a lesson that you learned the hard way, but I think that it's certainly very, very valuable for all of the young entrepreneurs out there today you know, take your time and make sure that your team really believes in what you're doing. I mean, you must have been devastated the day that he did that because I could, you know, <laughs> he's supposed to be branding you all the time. Yeah. And and so I, I get that. I get that. Now, how has your team evolved since the inception? So, you know, I kind of look at everything in business a little bit like relationships and you know, even getting those team members on board with me was a little bit like getting into a marriage with the wrong husband, husbands. Right. And, you know, it's hard to it's hard to get out once you're married. And then, uh, you know, once you've made a, a, a bad decision, you're a little bit worried about getting burned again by a, your next marriage. I mean, I see it happen all the time in relationships. But, you know, a lot of people are like, you just need to get somebody else on board. And I was just very cautious about who that next person was going to be because it's like getting into a new marriage. But there was a guy that had worked on my site a little while ago, and uh, he came to me last summer. And this is when I knew I was going to go onto the Shark Tank, and I did need web help because my site was still in a pretty hairy situation. And he said, you know, I since I've been working on cheat, I haven't ever stopped. You know, I've still got the files. I think about it all the time, and I, I, wanted, I want to be a part of it. I want to help you. And it was almost like an angel had dropped down in front of me because, you know, he came to me. I wasn't going to have to go looking, and uh, I said, yes. <laughs> I mean, we right. worked together. He's a smart guy, and he ended up buying out my old partner's which is kind of a dream come true. He's been a successful entrepreneur in the past, and, and he had a little bit of money from, from the success of his last startup. So he, he bought them out, and now he's my CTO, which is what I should have gotten you know, five years ago. Right. Well, you know, yes, you made mistakes, but I think that the, 
the, the, the difference between your company and yourself and those companies that fail, because let's face it, I mean, we all know that the statistics are out there. Most businesses, new businesses don't last a year is that, you know, you're flexible. You, you saw that something was, was not working and you adjust it. And that's so critical because a lot of times I think young entrepreneurs and, and business owners, they get so set in their ways and this is the only way to do it and these are the only people that I can have on my team. And you end up, you know, running yourself out of business. So has flexibility helped you? I mean, I have to say I'm kind of guilty of, of being so stuck in a, in a way as well. But, um, yeah, you, you make those mistakes and then you definitely learn and you can only get smarter and stronger from every single mistake that you make. Um, but, yeah, that's very important. I think you've got to listen to your customers, A, so... You know, if people aren't buying cheat cards, there's a reason why. So, I mean, a lot of people have said, what if you just change that apostrophe? You have no idea what's not getting these people to to sign up. But, yeah, I think you've got to pay attention to everything that's going on with your business, and you've got to be willing to, to, to be flexible and to pivot a little bit. So, and I'm in the midst of doing that right now, four years in. Yeah, well, you're still here and, you know, you're still pushing the company and the company is growing and growing and it's getting more and more recognition. So something's working and it seems as though, you know, you're, you're going to be that success that, you, that you've always dreamed of. Now, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Shark Tank episode. Uh, for those people who don't know, Shark Tank is a show, is a group of investors, um, you know, relatively famous investors who will put up their own money into various companies and ideas that are pitched to them. And Lori was on the show, and it didn't go as she had hoped. Um, and I would like to play an excerpt from the show. And this is, uh, this is Kevin O'Leary, and he was <laughs> responding to the presentation that Lori had made. So this is from that show. Wow. Three years have gone by. Sheik is making no money at all. You know, my definition of a hobby is something that never makes money after three years. <laughs> You've lost your apartment, you're starving, you're not making any money, and what else can you sell? I've had a lot of technology problems. I'm here asking for your help. The reason it's not working is because my website has been broken with the subscription model since day one. So and I'm, to and this you keep on day, going and you keep on spending money. You're not doing yourself any favors. I just got it fixed. After burning $120,000, you figured you fix I'm going to figure this out. I will take this business <laughs> until it is a household name, and this is going to change the population. I mean that. Well, that's, you can see where that was going, you know. And, and quite honestly, they didn't get what the idea was. But yeah. the reason I played that clip and, and the reason that I think it's so powerful is your response to them. You know, if you've seen Shark Tank, you, you've got a lot of personalities, and some of them are just downright nasty, and some of it's for television ratings, and uh, sometimes it's just the way they are. But they didn't get your idea. But what I really focus on is your response. Because here you are, you're talking about millionaire and billionaire investors who have set up companies who are telling you that your idea doesn't work, that it's a hobby, and you tell them, well, I'm going to make it work and just watch. And I think that's great. How was that whole yeah. experience for you? <laughs> but it's so funny. I have a hard time watching the, the segment. I've only watched it twice, and it's painful for me. Like, I think it's going to have to be a while. But, 
You know, I have never been more nervous in my entire life. And I go around speaking. I'm on television all the time. And I don't really get nervous anymore. But when I was getting ready to walk down that hallway, my heart was beating in my throat. And I was worried I was going to forget everything that I was talking about, even though I've been talking about this for five years straight. I could talk about it in my sleep. But I was worried the words weren't going to come out. And um, I think when I got out onto the stage, I kind of went on autopilot, and it wasn't me. And, you know, I saw on the Twitter stream people were like, this woman needs to breathe or blink. And it it was true. It wasn't who I am. I mean, I feel like they – there's no way I got my personality across to them, and I know they invest in people, but um, my stubbornness did definitely shine through in what I just listened to. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to quit. Um, but, yeah, there's the stakes were high, and I was just freaked out. I think I had so psyched myself out. I knew my numbers. I knew it wasn't going to be uh, – they weren't going to be fighting over me in there. I was going to have to let them know how hard I was able to – to work on this, and hopefully they would see the light in me in that in that way. So that, that clearly didn't go over as I'd as I'd hoped. But it doesn't matter. I did get to tell eight million people about my mission, and my inbox the next day showed me that it was definitely worth it. And we got signups. We've got a mobile app now that's launched. We got tons of downloads from that. So it was a great experience, no matter what. And um, I, I would do it all over again. You know, I, I do think that uh, what people should take away from that Shark Tank episode, because you know, I've seen some of the articles that are out there, not that it was a bloodbath and that, you know, they were, they were just uh, running all over you. What I think people should take away is regardless of what your business is and what your vision is, you have to have that, that tenacity to say, oh, look, you might not agree with me, you might not believe in me, but I believe in myself, you know, it's so intimidating to most people to speak in public. And here you are in front of millions of people on television with, with people that have, you know, a tremendous amount of money and power and connections. And you might have been nervous, and, and, but it just it didn't translate uh, as someone who was meek and, and going to walk away. I mean, you fought with them and you said, I'm not giving up. And that comes from within. Because, you know, you can't learn that in a book. You must, you have to believe in yourself. And that's so critical for success in today's business world. Yeah, and, you know, it's not like I necessarily need their money. You know, we got investors' emails the next day of people that clearly got it. but And their money comes with a very high, you know, equity share. So um, I just really wanted to tell the world it was my one shot to get to get the voice out to that many people at once. I mean, the Shark Tank is one of the most watched shows in America, and I got eight minutes on it to talk about my dream. Yeah, and you know what? It really did, I think, um, give people a chance to, to see you. Because when you look at, at the, the promo that was cut uh, before you actually came on, and you look at the stuff that you see online about you right now, uh, I mean, I, I can clearly see where you were more nervous giving the presentation, but it got people interested in you because you are a very charismatic and, and bubbly person. I mean, I think it's just people are drawn to that sort of um, of attitude in people. Nobody wants to see somebody like, you know, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. They want to see somebody that's <laughs> got a little more excitement. And I think that that comes from your passion for what you're doing. 
So well, definitely. And I feel like a lot of people, they, they, they wrote me and said, how can I help? I saw your struggle. How can I help? And there were people all over the world just saying, I want to help you. Like, there's something in my eyes on that show that people understood. I'm not going anywhere, and, and they think I need help, which, you know, it wouldn't hurt. But I'm, right. I'm all set now as far as the major issues of my, my business. Well, that's. I think it's just such a such a lesson for young entrepreneurs, young business owners to know to understand. It does not matter what people say about you. You know. Now, look. There's a difference between taking constructive criticism and making a shift or a change in your business. You know, like you said earlier, listening to your clients and customers and making sure that you give them what they're asking for. But there's a difference between that and having somebody just tell you, hey, this is stupid, don't do it, and then, you know, you shutting down. You know, in today's modern age, with Twitter and Facebook and social media, the ability for people to, um, you know, with some level of anonymity, just post hateful comments. I mean, I think that you have to be ready to accept that, to deal with it, to put it in its place and move on. Now, have you received any sort of negative feedback? I would imagine that you have. <laughs> I can't get over some of the things that people decide to take the time to type. So on Twitter, people wrote a lot of mean things on Twitter, which, you know, they do. And I'm in this little group of people on Facebook that have been on the Shark Tank before, and they all wrote, whatever you do, don't read the bad comments. So, um, of course, I read the bad comments, and right. I even responded to a few of them that I just, I just thought I'd see what they'd say if I responded. And, you know, a lot of people backed off. Like, I don't think they really thought a human would write them back. And it almost goes to prove my concept that people can do whatever they want behind a keyboard. So you can be really mean to somebody on Twitter or in an email. But, you know, once a human comes back and says, like, oh, well, you have no idea how hard that was, then they kind of back off. And it's just like my business. So, you know, you can't hide behind the Internet when you meet someone on Cheats. And it's just part of my, my whole mission. And these people on Twitter and sending those hate mail to us kind of prove my concept. Yeah, it actually does. I think, though, aside from that, I think the lesson to, to take away here is don't let people discourage you. The haters are going to be there no matter what. But if you believe in what you're doing, you have to ignore them. You know, look at look at celebrities and business owners that are in the news, the, the tabloids and whatnot. You know, if everybody just shut down because somebody said something negative about them, we'd never progress and build our businesses. So, you know, I think that's important. And I think that getting back to your comment about proving the concept, it's absolutely true. Because while the Internet is great and it helps spread messages, it also spreads a lot of other stuff. And I think that, um, you know, even though you've got a username – the anonymity behind what you post online protects people. And, you know, I think that your concept with Cheeked is so different than things like Match.com or whatnot. And I think that people need to uh, have what you're offering. I mean, it's like a hybrid. It's like, you know, you've got the ability to see somebody in the real world and interact briefly and then go learn more about them later on on the Internet when, you know, it's, it's private. How are people responding to the concept? So 
I do think one of the struggles here is that, you know, 17 years ago when someone said we're going to have online dating, there was there was this awful stigma behind it. I mean, if you did a Google search five years ago about online dating, the word stigma would pop up with uh, over a million results. And now that online dating seems like such the normal thing to do, I mean, if I go to a bar, I can see people on Tinder looking down at their phones, flipping through people if, saying they like them or not. They're not looking up to see what's happening right in front of them. So I say when people are on their phone and even doing a quick Facebook status update, they could miss the love of their lives walking right by them. So, I mean, in a time when we're so connected to technology and our phone, we're losing this connection that matters most, which is what I'm trying to change. But I feel like it's almost like I'm changing a behavior and I'm telling everyone to to get off their phones, to, to go backwards in time in a way. But, you know, there's there's nothing on technology that can replace this initial chemistry that happens and 71% of Americans supposedly believe in love at first sight and you're not going to find that looking at your phone. No, and that's that's a good lesson to learn just in business in general because I think that a lot of, of, of young companies, the mistakes they make is that they just sit behind the social media posts and they don't go out there and interact with people. And, you know, you can talk about networking and, and you know, I go to these networking dinners. and But I think people devalue the benefit of going out and meeting people face-to-face. Now, you must, because I've seen your, your pictures online, the posts, the things that you're involved in, the fact that you went and sought out Shark Tank, you know, what do you have to say about uh, getting yourself out there and stepping away from technology? I mean, I'm very social, so I love meeting new people, and it just it never stops. Like, I, I can never have enough friends, and I just think it's interesting meeting humans. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of people kept saying, you should get on the Shark Tank. This idea seems perfect for that show. And finally, one day, one of my friends in Texas sent me the link to the application, and I clicked on it, and it looked quick enough to, to fill out, so I just filled it out, and, you know, I say the more you try anything, the more chances you have to succeed or to win or to even find love, but I applied, and it seems like uh, six months later, they called me, I started screaming, I saw an LA phone number, and they said, this is ABC Shark Tank, we like your idea, and we'd like for you to submit a video, and uh, I just kept moving forward. And, you know, I think there's over 30,000 applications, and I think they take about 180 people out to L.A., and and not all of them even get to air. So they made it clear that it was a huge honor to have gotten that far. And, you know, they saw something in me that deserved to be on national television, and I I think they have a good eye. (laughs) I think you're right. I think, though, that the element of, of human interaction is so important for businesses today because how, how could you sit down and just put things on Facebook and Twitter and then not go out and engage with people and not meet with people? Because when you have a business, whether it's a service business like an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or you know, you're selling a product, there's a large part of your business where you are selling yourself. People want to come to you because they're going to get time and attention they're going to get quality service. How important do you think that the element of, let's call it customer service and interacting with people is to the success of a business? Oh, it's um, 
is irreplaceable. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely had struggles. My site's been broken most of the time. I've had it up on the Internet. And, you know, when people reach out to me, and sometimes they're initially very angry that something's gone wrong with their credit card or they got double charged or they can't seem to cancel, you know, I'll write back as soon as I possibly and humanly can. And if I'm not with Internet, like, I'll find it. And I make sure that they know how deeply sorry I am and I'm going to fix the problem and usually I refund them and I send them more cards or I just try to to make them, I mean, they need to know that it's a human behind this business. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. a huge empire, even though I've tried to make it look like that on many occasions. But I I do think customer interaction and just, you know, being human and in communication with them is, is crucial. Yeah, I think if you look at any real successful companies, the one that pops to my mind is Disney. Uh, whether you are a fan of Disney or not, there's one thing that's for sure, and that they, there's a commitment to customer service. And I think that a lot of times, uh, young companies, they forget that. They're so busy pushing their product that they forget that they're pushing their product to other people. And there's got to be that connection. There's got to be that interaction. The fact that you will respond to people who have an issue, I think, is a credit and something that people need to take in, into account when they deal with adversity in their business. Because let's face it, you're going to have it. You're going to have people that want their money back, that don't like what you've done for them, that are never satisfied. And how you deal with them, I think, is so important. When you, when you have a problem, let's say you're refunding somebody, um, do you ever have an angry customer who then kind of changes their tune when they see that you've responded to them directly? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people are like, wow, from the founder, a personal note, I'm impressed. And I'm impressed that it was so timely. But the reality is I don't have anybody else answering those. But it still goes to show that that people are impressed by a personal email. Well, you could ignore them, you know. That's what most people would do. Oh, somebody's complaining, let me ignore them. But to deal with the problem. I think is very, very important for quality customer service. And, you know, you're going to build that reputation as somebody that or a company that responds, you know, quickly and appropriately. And that's a great thing. Yeah, it's it's definitely important. And, you know, you know from your own customer service how you want to be dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. So I understand when someone's mad. I get it. I'd be mad too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's it doesn't matter, I think, in this day and age what industry you're in. The fact is, is that people have a level of expectation. And I think that the Internet has facilitated this belief in instantaneous gratification. I want a movie, well, I'll just go to iTunes and download it. Um, I don't have to really wait or work for anything. So when you have customers out there that have that mindset, you know, they want to see things happen immediately. I'm sure that you'll have people that will buy a stack of cards and then within a week say, well, nobody's calling me. This isn't working, you know, because people don't understand how things work this, this, right. you know, <laughs> in this world today. Well, I say people, people aren't going to walk up to you. You've got to make it happen. You've got to make the action. Yeah, and that's, that's the lesson you should take away from this in business. You should not sit back and wait for things to happen. You have to push forward with your beliefs and you have to have, obviously, the right structure in place. You need to have the right legal protections in place. And you need to have the right team. 
you know, and, and here you are years from when you first founded the company, and you, you feel like you're in a better place now. You know, is that, is that fair to say? Definitely. You know, I mean, and, and you could have given scary. up. I've been, like, on a scary, scary ride, and now I feel like I'm not as scared. <laughs> well, fear is always... Is scary. It is. There's fear involved with, with trusting yourself, because for a long time, I would imagine, um, even when you had the partners who were not the right fit for you, you were on your own. It was you. You doing the work. You know, you making the decisions. And that's a scary thing, but you have to have that belief in yourself. Well, yeah, and I do feel like it's it's great to have someone else with you. I mean, I know there are a lot of successful solo entrepreneurs out there, but it is kind of nice to have, you know, a partner <laughs> to help because you can't just you can't do everything yourself. No, you absolutely cannot. And I think that when when you know people. Are, they're afraid of spending money. They're afraid of, of investing in, in the right partners. And, and, you know, I hear it all the time. You know, you'll hear somebody who has tried to start a business and it's not gone well, and then they'll call a lawyer and they'll say, you know, I should have done this before, but I didn't have the money. I didn't want to spend the money. I think you have to research and look around and find the right team because not everybody's going to charge you, you know, an arm and a leg. You, you find That's the right true. people. You know, you can't just call one law firm or one accountant or one web design firm. You really have to look around. Uh, do your research. Yeah, and I'm guilty of doing that as well. I mean, I've signed a lot of contracts just because I needed service right away, but I really wish that I had uh, I'd done a lot of price comparisons. I think I'd be in a, a better financial shape right now if I had not made those mistakes early on as well. Well, the key is to learn from them as you've done, and I think that that's very uh, inspirational for young entrepreneurs to see that you you have to. I mean, making mistakes is part of your business development. It's when you don't adjust your strategy that you end up failing. Right. Now, from from a legal standpoint, um, you know, you have to be, I think, prepared as a business owner to face things like. Not just the, the disgruntled customer, but the customer that sues you. Have you had any of that? Have you had anybody sue you or any, any you know, legal documents be served on you? No. Um, the only thing that happened early on, there was another company based in New Jersey that came out after Cheeks, and they were doing the same thing. And I remember when somebody emailed me about, someone's got your idea, I initially freaked out and... The crazy thing was they ended up sending me a letter that was short of a cease and desist, but it turns out, you know, I had launched before them, and I'm patented now, and I applied for my patent before them. But, yeah, it it was scary getting that letter because I had no idea. Maybe they did come up with this idea before me, and then it was going to shut down my dream, but in the end they were they were wrong, wrongfully sending me that, but I had to get a lawyer involved, and... At that point forward, we started trying to make sure that we had all our bases covered to, to to make sure our patent was on the right track and everything. So that that probably was the, the most frightening piece of mail I've ever gotten. You know, and, and as your business develops and grows, you're going to see more. There's no doubt about it. It's just the way human nature <laughs> is. People complain about everything. But yeah. 
I, I think one thing that we, we try to teach people, and I, I want to see if you agree with this based upon your experiences, when somebody says they are looking to build a team, but we'll, we'll have the lawyer later, we'll have the accountant later, I'm going to do the marketing myself right now, and, and you know, we'll deal with the rest of the people later. I try to, to tell them, listen, you're much better off spending your money up front. Hire the right team up front. Get yourself prepared to move forward. Get your contracts in place. Prepare your legal protections. Make sure your company is filed properly because you're going to save money in the long run because when you're sued, you know, I don't care what lawyer you go to. They're going to charge you an arm and a leg because you need them at that point. You've been sued. Now you're going to be paying hourly. How important is it, and and do you agree with what I've said about putting your money on the front front end of your business and saving money on the back end? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, lessons learned many years later. I wish I'd done a lot differently. Well, I think that, uh, you know, you've made necessary changes. Tell us a little bit about where Cheeked is going right now. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I have a new partner, and I feel like we're on a safe ride together. I trust him. I've known him for years, and uh, he's a smart guy. I've been successful with businesses in the past, and he's He's built this app for us. So we've gone completely mobile. We've got to, you know, stay on innovation with our competitors. And now you can do almost everything on your smartphone. And you can even search for people on the app, which we didn't offer that before with the website. So you can either give people physical cards in the real world or you can even flick them in a virtual ice-breaking card. So maybe you see a guy at the end of the bar and he's on the app. You can send him a card. And it could say your next drink's on me or come over here or let's get out of here or anything. Right. Um, and we, uh, we're getting ready to bring on who I think is one of the, the hottest strategy teams and mobile app developers in, in America, and they're, they're called Fueled. And they're just going to take a look at, at what we've done and think about rebranding it a little bit. So here's where I'm being completely flexible. I mean, if they came and said this, this business needs to be pink and purple, I'll say okay. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's what we're up to now. We're just going to try to take a fresh look at things, and I'm almost looking at this as, as a clean start. And, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Well, now you've had years of experience, and you've learned a lot of the lessons the hard way. Um, now, have you, you, you haven't wavered at all in your determination to make this a, a success, have you? Oh, not, not at all. I mean, I believe in it more than ever, and I, I feel like the more people get connected with their their phones and social media, the more people need this. I mean, I just read somewhere that the more stuff we're doing technologically is going to make us stupider in the end. And I completely see how it happens. I mean, remember paper and pen? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Well, you know, you, you said something earlier about being at a bar and seeing people on their phone. When you go out and you take, take a, a look around, if you're out at a restaurant or in a park or even at a movie theater. How many people are making eye contact with other people? I mean, it's really amazing. Rarely. And if you're looking up, the other person just isn't looking up at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that – but I also think that what you're doing is smart because while your vision is to embrace this idea of – uh, real-world interaction and human interaction and then kind of combine it with the, the tech world, 
you're also embracing what your customers are are looking for. They need mobile apps because that's where you know most people are accessing the internet from, and most people are finding things online from their mobile devices. Yeah, I mean, I say that I'm allowing people to leverage technology with Cheek, but you don't have to depend on it. You know, like Match.com, there's no real life thing at all. Like you, you meet these people online, and and that's it. But I'm I'm just letting you use technology, but you, you see these people in the real world. Right, right. How how important for you has social media marketing been in the development of the company? I mean, huge. You know, when I started this business, it was almost like, how on earth am I going to tell the world about this? And Facebook wasn't even near what it is today. I mean, I think then I had like 250 friends on it, and I tried to get them all to buy a deck of cards, and <laughs> that that wasn't going to help. But now that everything's blowing up, like, I mean, I have a, a dating board on Pinterest that's driving tons of traffic to our website. I mean, almost more than Twitter and Facebook at this moment. So, yeah, I, I've tried everything. And even, you know, people find out about me on Instagram. And I just think it's a beautiful way to, to get the word out. I mean, although I'm kind of anti-technology on one end, I mean, there's nothing that's made life and building a business and getting the word out to people easier than, than having all these amazing tools at this point. Yeah, well, that's true, and I think that that's uh, you know one of the things that that new companies have to understand. I don't care if you're a 70 year old man who's starting a company or uh, an 18 year old female. I think that that you must embrace technology because that's where the business world is going. If you don't have a website, if you don't have a, a, a social media presence, I think you're doing yourself a massive disservice. I mean, in your in your position. You'd have to have this because you have that 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 hybrid tech with real world. So if you didn't have that social media presence and that tech presence, your business wouldn't work. Yeah, and I feel like there's also like a stamp of success when people even look at your amount of followers on Facebook and Twitter. And it's, I mean, it's hard to get a following, but you know, I've actively been doing it for years, and I'm still just have a little over 3,000 people. So if anyone listening can like us on Facebook, it'll help. You know, I want to say something about that because I think that a true testament to um, the development of a brand is followers that are originated through real interaction, through real people, real people following you. I don't know if you're aware. I'm sure you are. But, you know, you can go to these sites and you can pay for people to follow oh, yeah. you on social media. And, and you know, new companies that are, are looking to do that, it's a complete waste of time, waste of money. So, A, you've got people that really don't care about your product. You pay them to like your page. And, and you know, B, who cares if you look at a page and there's 3,000 followers versus 300,000 followers? I mean, does it really, to you, does that make a difference, Lori? I mean, a little bit. When I feel like other people are looking, <clears throat> they yeah, I think there's something about that. But, uh, I mean, I definitely don't think fake followers is going to help you. It's just that's not a, <laughs> a smart investment because you actually want people engaging with you and, and responding to your content. But, you know, when I've seen companies start, like you mentioned, that don't have Twitter, I'm like, you're crazy. 
like at least get the handle. Somebody else could get it, and you won't even have it when you realize that you need it. And yeah. I think it's also important to have a handle for your business, and you personally have a handle. You know, that's another thing I see a lot of entrepreneurs doing is they just come up with like their business name. But I think you need to have your business <laughs> and your own personal handle on social media. Yeah, well, I think that the key here is interaction. I think that people think that they can just post things online and not, you know, interact. But that's the point of social media. Right. I mean, isn't it the equivalent, in a sense, of of real-world interaction, but in the digital realm? I mean, you don't want to just say things to people. Don't you want to have a conversation? Exactly. You know, and, and those are the kind of followers that you want, people that are going to talk about your product, talk about your service, talk about your company. And I think that uh, your point about having a separate handle, I think, is important because people want to know who they're dealing with. They want to know you. So that helps a business, I think. And the other thing that you mentioned that's also important, though, uh, is the fact that when you're starting a business, you need to go out and get all of this social media stuff together. Make sure you have a domain name. Make sure you register your, your, your Twitter handle, your Facebook page. I mean, is that that's something that you would recommend to people, isn't it? Absolutely. Like, I mean, that stuff's so easy to do. You can do that just based on an idea. And it doesn't cost so you, you any money either. Yeah, if you're not, I mean, getting the URL costs a little bit of money, but if you're halfway serious about it, I suggest you do it, and you do it quickly because, you know, people people even troll when you do a search for your URL, and I think if they see that I've t- tried to get cheek.com, they could go and buy it before me, and then they're going to want to sell it to me. So I think it's that's a very smart $20 spent. I agree with you. Lori, tell people where they can find you online, how they can contact you for more information. Well, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm Lori Cheek, L-O-R-I-C-H-E-E-K-N-Y-C, and we're Cheeks at Twitter. That's the brand name. And then on Facebook, I'm Lori.Cheek, and then we're also Cheeks on Facebook. And if anyone wants to shoot me an email, I'm Lori, L-O-R-I, at Cheeks.com. And you can Lori, download you. the app on Android or Apple. <laughs> and I encourage everyone to go check it out and look at Lori and, and learn more about her and her business. I think it's an innovative, excellent idea. Lori, I want to thank you for being on today. We were unable thank to you. get through some of the questions, so I'm hoping that maybe you'll come back on the next few weeks and we can get through some of the questions that have been posted. I would love that. All right, well, that's, uh, we're running out of time. I just want to remind everybody that we're going to be on this Monday in addition to next Thursday, but Monday we're going to be speaking to Ken Wolski from the Coalition for Medical Marijuana, and we're going to be talking about medical marijuana and the possible legalization of marijuana in New Jersey. So tune in to that if you have any questions. You can give us a call directly at 973-949-3770. You can send me an email at info at Peter Lamont, that's P-E-T-E-R-L-A-M-O-N-T, E-S-Q.com. And Laurie, thanks again. Um, I hope to have you on. We'll get through these questions and then give some of these um, these, these, these people who are asking some attention and, and help them set up their business. Okay, perfect. I'll be back. All right, Lori, great. Thanks again. Okay, I just want to thank, thank everybody for listening, okay. and remember that there's power in understanding the law.